0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: And welcome on into another edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. I am your host, Jordan Schusterman. And for the second week in a row, I am joined only by one of the pipeline experts. That is Mr. Jim Kaus. Jim, welcome. To the show and, and Jonathan, I mean, if, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, man, we, we, we miss you
0: he'll be back next week he's i think he's flying back from amsterdam with his family today so we we should have jonathan next week
1: well i look forward to to getting the the band back together but it's just me and you jim today uh we've got a lot to get to as always 2020 draft high school class um starting to put some some names actually in order now uh, as the showcase season sort of winds down we still got jupiter coming up in a couple of months but we're going to talk about the, the top high school draft prospect for next year's uh, class uh, next year's draft. We're going to talk about Adley Rutschman, uh, the number one overall pick from this past draft, who who finally, after sort of weirdly struggling for the first couple weeks in the New York penalty, got his promotion to low A. Uh, we're going to talk about the return of a, a former first round pick, Jay Groom, uh, to the Boston Red Sox. He literally pitched this morning that we were recording on Wednesday, August 21st. Um, so we're going to talk about Jay Groom's return. And then we're going to talk about the Arizona Fall League, which is beginning earlier than, than ever before. Uh, and some guys that we already know will be uh, participating in this year's Arizona Fall League, one of, I think, both of our uh, favorite events on the baseball calendar. But let's begin uh, with you about the t- 2020 high school draft prospects. Um, you gave uh, a top 15, as, as we've seen some of these, these showcase games and, and events uh, come to a, to a close over this summer. And as you, as you put this list together, uh, Jim, I guess I'll start with a big picture question. Uh, were you surprised at, at how these rankings kind of shook out for you based on where they were uh, at the beginning of the summer?
0: Yeah, it was. Or even like like a month ago, because you know I, I did a, a way too early mock draft for 2020, I think right after this year's draft ended. And obviously you're it's all speculation. But we had two high school players on there, um, and we'll get them in a second. <laughs> two of them, two of the top ten guys were high school players, and right now they rank number six and number 15 on my high school list instead of one and two. Um, and, you know, we I saw a good deal of players at, at the PDP League. I was there for a week. Um, I saw the best players in PDP at the, the high school futures game in Cleveland as part of the All-Star Weekend. And then I saw the Under Armour game. So I, I actually – got a lot of looks at these guys so when i started the process jordan at the end or i mean i started the process i had all this information kind of through the end of july the unarmored game was toward the end of july and not that i didn't think i was gonna be shifting around but i kind of put the guys in an order and i don't think that really resembled my final order. a lot of the same names but um not anywhere near the same order that I wound up having in the story that went up on the site on Tuesday, just because you had area codes and East coast pro and the perfect game, all America game in August. And, and guys saw these guys a lot more and also the team USA trials for the 1800 team were going on. So it's like, there was all, there was just kind of nonstop action, you know, for most of August or the first half of August, and a lot of guys changed, you know, from where they would have been, you know, which is, I guess, not too unexpected. I mean, they're high school players, you know, these are rising high school players, so most of them are 17 years old. So, you know, guys are going to be up and down a little bit more than, than the older players.
1: And what kind of gave you uh, the, the confidence to put? And obviously, the, the draft list in the middle of, of August is not as important as the one uh, next June. But what is the, the thing that you felt like gave Jared Kelly the nod at number one? Um, you know, of course, Gable not far behind at number two. Um, Kelly, seen, that's a pretty big jump based on maybe where he was uh, at the beginning of summer, certainly even uh, last summer. Um, so so how, what, what gave Kelly the number one? Was it just the fact that he probably had the best single performance event uh, pitcher this summer, or was it something else?
0: Um, I, well, there was that, and he was also really, really good. I mean, he was good at the Unarmored games. He was good at the Area Code games. You know, he, he was good at some of the other events he went to. You know, I, I would have thought, when I started it, I, I actually thought Pete Crow Armstrong, who was my number one guy coming in to the summer, was going to be number one, and we wound up dropping him to six. And then if you told me, it was going to be a pitcher. I would have thought it would have been Mick Abel, who I saw really good at the PDP league and, and saw him at the, at the the high school futures game too with Kelly. I I don't think it's so much that he came out of nowhere. It's that a little bit out of sight, out of mind at the beginning of the summer, because he didn't, he opted not to go to the PDP league. So he was not there. And as a result, he's not on team USA's 18 and under team because he didn't participate in that. Um, but, When he was at, you know, it's probably a little bit unfair to Mick Abel too because Mick Abel's stuff at the beginning of the summer at the PDP League was really, really good. And he looked not tired, but like it wasn't quite as fresh by mid-August. And Jared Kelly didn't have that three-week PDP League. um, So he was a little fresher. But, I mean, Kelly, you're talking about a guy who was pretty much 94, 98 throughout the summer um, and did it easily. He's got a a very good changeup. Needs more consistency with the slider. And I know people may be listening to this Jordan, say, well, look, you know, high school pitchers are risky. Teams know that. They want hitters. I'm just telling you right now, if the draft were today, and let's say the draft was a popular vote and we had all 30 teams vote, I do think, based on my conversations with people, that Jared Kelly – would the the consensus would be that he'd be the number one prospect. Now, will he go number one? Because teams, you know, there's never been a high school right-hander who's gone number one overall. Teams are a little scared of high school pitching. We'll see. But right now, he's the hottest high school prospect as of today.
1: And uh, of course, this is only only half of the, the equation as, as we'll get to the, the top college players right. uh, on on next week's podcast. But looking at some of these other names, and you mentioned, of course, uh, guys like Pete Armstrong and, and Dylan Cruz, uh, who, who kind of fell based on where they maybe were at the beginning of the summer. Who are some of the other guys on this top 15? Or maybe someone who was a late cut that you don't mention in this article that you see could have some projection or so, some, some room to, to kind of Raise their stock over the next few months, maybe at Jupiter, even in, in spring. You could see in the mix top five elite high school uh, high school draft class uh, come come next spring. Maybe not even by June, but by March or, or April.
0: I think based on what they were coming into the summer, and then they both had kind of rough summers. I think Pete Crow Armstrong and Dylan Cruz could definitely bounce back because that's they were regarded that highly coming into the summer. You know, with, with Crow Armstrong, um, you know he, he didn't have a great showcase circuit. Um, you know, he's still a definite center fielder. I think now, and again, the, the stock in these guys is volatile, is that his tools may be more average to solid than really plus tools. Uh, you know, I, I think coming into summer, people were thinking, okay, this guy could be plus center fielder, plus hitter, plus speed. You know, maybe not plus power, but solid power, and they've cooled on that a little bit. And and Cruz, you know, was kind of built as a as a right handed version of Riley Green, this Florida high school outfielder who could hit for average and power, and he'd improved in an his athleticism. And he just didn't hit over the summer. So those guys, I think, could bounce back. A guy who 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 shot up this list um, and wound up at number seven, who I think could keep moving, is um, Tyler Soderstrom, who, whose father Steve was a number six overall pick back in nineteen ninety three. And I realize I'm probably dating myself there, Jordan, because I'm, I'm guessing you probably weren't born in 1993. Were you? I don't.
1: I don't remember this. This. Uh, this very. they very well. I, I do admit.
0: <laughs> so yeah, and I was actually like writing about Steve Soderstrom at Baseball America. So anyway, um, Tyler Soderstrom. Um, just had a really good summer, you know. Maybe not, you know. We'll see if he's a catcher. If he doesn't stick behind the plate, he's athletic enough to maybe play third base or an outfield corner. But he just hit the ball hard all summer. I saw him hit a home run in the PDP league. Um, he played really well at the Area Code game, so I think he's a guy who's on the rise. And then, the, the, you know, I always Johnson would would tease me about this, but it's true. I always uh, uh, sit there and like I, I always have more guys I want to put on the list around a room. But Kate Horton out of Oklahoma, this really projectable, athletic. Uh, right-handed pitcher is a guy who who interests me. Um, He he had a good summer. Um, He's a two-way guy. He plays shortstop. He also plays quarterback. He's committed to Oklahoma. I don't know if he's quite good enough to actually play at Oklahoma at quarterback, but he would be the next guy off the list for me. Uh, And I I just couldn't, I ran out of room for him when it came to it.
1: And another kind of big picture way to to look at this is, is you mentioned in your article that this is I, scouts and people in the industry say that this is one of the better high school classes we've had in some time. So even the guys that are maybe not in the top five right now, you still feel like is, is better than your average number 12 ranked uh, high school prospect. Is that safe to say this is it, Scouts are excited about this high school class more than they have in, in, in a while.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the pitching's definitely better than it was this year. There's not depth of shortstops like there was with, with Bobby Witt, CJ Abram headlining it this year, but there, there's a ton of outfielders, um, you know, Zach Veen is a guy who who I wasn't at the PDP league who kind of opened my eyes and opened some other eyes later in the summer. Um, he's really interesting. You know, Drew Romo is an advanced defensive catcher who, who started to hit more as the summer wore on. So yeah, there, there's a lot of really interesting guys on here. Um, you know, the 2020 draft should be be very very good next year.
1: Right. Now, obviously, we will talk more about the college side of things uh, on a podcast in the near future. But definitely a good early look at some of the, the high school names that we could be hearing called very early on in the 2020 draft. Now, I want to uh, take a little bit of time to talk about two former uh, number one picks uh, or first First round selections uh, and very very different stories. Uh, let's start with the one that the, the the biggest name, the one who who just went number one overall just a few months ago, Adley Rutschman, um, who signed with the Orioles and, and went to the New York Penn League, struggled a little bit out of the gate, but then really caught fire over the last two weeks. Had a five for five game with a homer and a triple, and that earned him a promotion to Low A Delmarva. Nothing really necessarily surprising, but uh, I guess I wanted to, to to get your your take on on a general timeline for Rutschman that you could see happening because you know the Orioles are not necessarily obviously not in contention this year and likely not next year is there should we expect to see Alley in Baltimore next season if he just rakes his way up the ladder or do you think they'll be holding back not just for service time because they they don't even really need him at the big league level where when can we expect Alley to to move and is this faster or slower than you've expected so far
0: no I mean the, the first summer doesn't really matter you know and he's a catcher he caught a lot for Oregon State so I mean you're not going to you know, wear him out, but uh, no, I mean, I I thought he'd be an A ball. I I like the way the the Orioles did it. I don't understand why more teams don't do this, you know, by comparison, and I don't think it's going to ruin him, but by comparison, you look at what the Marlins did with with J.J. Bleday, who also had a very long college season because they won the college. He's in high A and he's, you know, I guess you'd say holding zone. He's not tearing it up. Um, But to me, you know, you know, Adley Rutchman's is going to get to a ball at some point this year. But you know, you 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 let him spend a week in the GCL, just kind of getting acclimated to pro ball, and then you let him go to the pen league and tear it up. I'd rather be, let let the guy, you know, build his confidence. And I'm speaking in general. I mean, Adley, I'm sure is plenty confident after going number one. But like let let a guy enjoy success and move him up. You, you, there's no timetable here. Like you said, they're not going to contend next year. He's not going to play in the big leagues next year. That would make zero sense, no matter what he does. Um, and to be honest, I mean, they're not going to contend in 2021 either. So I, I'm sure they'll play service time games with him. And we probably won't see him until a, a month or two until 2021. Um, but no, I mean, his, his debut, I mean, I think the, the Orioles got to be pleased with the way it's gone. I mean, he's, you know, we've talked about that. I think we talked about this about guys last week. I, I don't think the stats really matter in your pro debut, but you'd rather see the guy come out and have some success. Um, and, and he has. Uh, you know, the, in, you know, he hasn't hit for a lot of power yet, but again, uh, you know, he's just getting acclimated to pro ball. I don't think that's going to be an issue. I mean, he's, he's, he's making consistent contact, you know, which he's known for doing. I mean, he's hitting for average, I think he's thrown out five of the eight guys who tried to steal. I mean, we're, we're parsing minor league catching stats. He's got zero pass balls in 11 games. So whatever you can read it out statistically, I mean, we we knew this guy was a good defender. And I mean, so I basically, you know, he's showing his statistical performance is backing up the kind of player you thought he was going to be. But you know, so I think the world's got to be pleased with the way it's gone so far.
1: Now, a first-round pick who has who not exactly taken the, the, the traditional route uh, or definitely a very different background than Adley Rushman, but I, I remember one conversation for the number one overall pick at one point was Red Sox left-hand pitcher Jay Groom, who went 12th overall in 2016 and, because of Tommy John surgery, has not pitched since uh, about exactly two years ago uh, to the day. Uh, it's, it's August 21st today. August 22nd was his last um, appearance, and today – uh, he got back on a mound in the GCL and threw uh, a scoreless inning. I mean, this is this is uh, of course we've had high draft picks you know, and Tommy John early and then they're out for for a couple of years. But uh, for Groom, I mean, what do we expect now? And, and in a Red Sox system that is certainly uh, not exactly brimming with talent, uh, do we think we could see Groom kind of shoot back up to the top of the Red Sox list in due time, or should we be a little bit more patient with him?
0: Um, I think he's got that upside for sure. I mean, he's at seven. Um... And I think he's got the upside to, to rank at or near the top of the list for sure. You know the, the, the thing with him getting Tommy John, I mean, obviously you never want Tommy John. The thing that's disappointing from the Red Sox perspective about him getting Tommy John is this is a guy who, look, I mean, there are all kinds of makeup concerns about him coming into pro ball, and then he didn't pitch great. You know, his first extended taste of pro ball. Um, but he, he was having a really good spring training. In 2018, and the Red Sox really felt like he was about to turn the corner. They were really excited. He was showing. You know, mid 90s fastball with arm side run. He showed the curveball that that a lot of scouts thought was one of the best you know curveballs in the 2016 draft. He was even showing feel for changeups So everybody was really excited from the Red Sox perspective. Okay, he's about to show you know you know what we thought we were getting in him, and they blew out his elbow and then they took a slow path back. They were very careful. I, I do our Red Sox list to never put a timetable. Oh, he'll be back you know in July or mid July or whatever. They're just gonna take it as it comes. But, you know, the, the the Twitter reports were, you know, he was, I think, 93-95 with his fastball today, you know, in his inning work and threw all three pitches and I think struck out two of the four batters he faced. Um, but no, I mean, you're talking about a guy who potentially could be, you know, a you know, guy who pitches toward the front of a rotation. So if he gets back to, to where they thought he could be, I mean... I, I think you could even argue he could be the number one prospect on the Red Sox list a, a year from now, um, you know, if he, he regains the stuff he had and, and, and harnesses it coming back from Tommy John surgery. And, you know, heaven forbid, I mean, a lot of these guys get come back because you, the, gruel, re, the rehab process is so grueling in the best shapes of their life and, and, and throw harder than ever. Um, he, he might even have better stuff, you know, when, when all is said and done. I mean, you, you look at Walker Bueller, uh, who is, you know, more polished over – Pure stuff, and um, you know, now look at what his stuff is since Tommy. Right, monster. I'm going to kind of
1: put you on the spot here, but but we mentioned you know where he could maybe rise on the Red Sox list. But taking a look at the the, the top ten left-handed pitching prospects uh, in baseball uh, on LB Pipeline right now, uh, if everything comes back, let's not say he he goes in and all of his stuff is suddenly 10 percent better as it was with Walker Buehler. But if he returns to the kind of guy uh, that scouts were seeing as a senior in high school, uh, how high do you think he could climb on the left-handed? Pitching prospect list. I mean, we got guys. So AJ Puck is it? I mean, at the top of the list. And of course, he's not surpassing your your beloved Mackenzie Gore. That's that's ridiculous. Bre-
0: I am not putting him ahead of McKenzie Gore. Yes. Yeah
1: that's that seems that seems a little that seems a little crazy. Uh, Gore, Hay, Lizardo, Libertor, Puck, Lodolo, DL Hall with the Orioles, Daniel Lynch with the Royals, Morajone with the Padres, and Ryan Rollison with the Rockies. Do you think he could break into that top ten if he comes back? He's looking great and maybe goes into twenty twenty looking like that guy he was uh, coming out of the draft.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't know if we put him necessarily, you know shoot him up the top 10 going into 2020 because he's going to wind up pitching five innings this year. So unless we get reports like we did on Walker Bueller that, Hey, his stuff seems to be like six miles an hour harder than it was before. I I think we'd, we'd make him come out and perform it, but let's say at mid season next year in a world where all these guys still count as prospects. I I wouldn't put him ahead of the the big three of Gore McKay Lazardo. but I mean, he's got, you know, a healthy, you know, Jay groom has better pure stuff than Matthew libertor. You know, Libertor's got better pitchability, um, and I think he's probably comparable, maybe to like an AJ Puck, who you know has always been stuff over polished. So I mean, I, I think he definitely could shoot into the middle of that list, you know, if he gets back what he had before.
1: Well, Red Sox fans uh, in a year that is not quite as gone as well as it did in 2018 will certainly uh, be looking for good news <laughs> down on the farm. I am sure, and Jay Groom could definitely be that. Uh, in the coming months. Uh, all right, let's move to our final topic uh, today, Jim. Uh, the Arizona Fall League will actually be, be starting up in, in a matter of weeks. Uh, they moved the schedule a little bit earlier. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, I, I, know, I know you love the Arizona Fall League. Uh, it's certainly one of one of your favorite events, as, as you like to say. So before we get into some potential participants, do you have any thoughts about the changes uh, to, I guess the format's not necessarily different, but to the earlier schedule and, and whether that's, that's a better setup than in the past where the, the schedule would run into middle of November and, and far past the World Series?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's going to take some getting used to, um, you know, I always used to like when players were there in mid-November and they're worn out, I always used to tell them that like the league used to run past Thanksgiving when it first started and everybody would give me these looks like, are you kidding me? What? Um, the, the, the reason they changed the league wasn't so much like a, a timing issue as to where it fell in the baseball calendar and in the middle of playoffs and all that. Then they changed the schedule you know, Bill Bivese's running the fall league now. You know, Steve Cobb had running it for 24 of the first 25 years, and Bill Bivese's in charge. And one of the things Bill did is he talked to teams and general managers and said, hey, you know, we've been doing a lot of things the same way forever. You know, what are some things we should look to change? You know, basically looking for ideas. And he, and he got a lot of feedback. But one of the things teams did not love was the fact that, you know, the season would usually start, I want to say around October 8th or so, you know, probably about three weeks after where it starts now. And the problem is, a, as you know, you know for Jordan from being there. You don't always get the highest quality pitching prospects anyway, because if guys reach their inning limits, you don't want to pile them on. But the fall leagues great for guys who who basically, you know, maybe had the suspension or maybe they had a non serious non arm injury, and you need more innings, you know, whatever. You know, it's a great place to play. But the problem the teams had is. The minor league season ends, you know, about September 5th. You know, first week of September, and then if your guy, if your pitcher isn't in the minor league playoffs, it's like five weeks before he put pitches in a fall league game. So you kind of have to keep him. You know, I liken it to idling your car. You know, where you're kind of like idling the engine. So like if you you know you have trouble getting the car started, um, you don't want to turn it off and have to turn it back on. So you're you're trying to keep these pitchers active. It just wasn't very practical. So by starting it literally. I think the day after the, the triple a national championship game, like pitchers, the minor league season land and they'll, they'll throw a little bit on the side for a week and boom, they'll be in the, be in the fall leagues. So that was the main reason they changed the schedule. And then a byproduct of, of changing the schedule is that because I, I think you're gonna have a lot more night games earlier in the season. Uh, we noticed from looking at the schedule. And then I think when you get to the world series, I think they aren't going to go up against the World Series, so I think we're going to have – I might be wrong on that. Maybe I'm not. Maybe, I, But I think on the World Series, where they do overlap, they're going to try to play more day.
1: Right. And uh, as you mentioned, the schedule is already out, so, uh, so you can take a look at that. I believe the, the first game is already uh, starting in, in a couple weeks. There's also going to be some some games against uh, some Mexican League teams, uh, which will certainly uh, be an interesting, uh, different look at some of the competition there. Um, but let's talk about some of the players who will actually be there. Uh, the, I believe the official rosters come out next week, um, but we've started to hear uh, some some whispers, some, some tweets about some guys that will be there. Uh, Royce Lewis of the Twins uh, and Joey Bart of the uh, San Francisco Giants are expected to be participating. Uh, you answered a, a, a pipeline inbox question about guys that you would like to see. Uh, so let's, let's talk about that wish list of sorts. Um, who are some names that, that you are looking forward to seeing or, or hope to see uh, against this high, the, one of the highest levels of competition in minor league baseball and that, that you, you want to see a, an additional look on, maybe a guy that you haven't gotten to see yet or, or someone that you're just uh, excited to watch play against our competition?
0: You know, when I got asked that question, I basically looked at our top 100 and started working my way down from the top at guys I thought were realistic. Like, I, I even mentioned the answer. Like, I'd love to see Wander Franco in the Fall League, but we're not, I don't think we're going to get Wander Franco. I don't think that's – I mean, you, you do get guys from A-ball sometimes, but, like, I'm not expecting him. So I, I actually did a an all-guys-I-want-to-see-in-the-Fall League team. And what's exciting, at least for me personally, Jordan, is the Fall League – and I kind of like this. They haven't released rosters yet, but but yet, yesterday – and or. Monday and Tuesday, we're recording this on Wednesday, and they're gonna to continue to do this till they release announce release the whole rosters. Is every day around noon Arizona time, they've been announcing, hey, here's a player who's gonna be in the league as they count down to the start of the regular season. And the first day was, was Royce Lewis, the number one overall pick in the draft two years ago. And then yesterday was Joey Bart, who was the number two overall pick last year. And they were both on my all-I-want-to-see team. So I don't know if the Fall leagues just uh, leaning on teams to put all the guys I want to see in the league. I doubt that's actually the case, Jordan. But uh, so far, so good. But my position-by-position my position team was Joey Bart, a catcher. White Sox first baseman Andrew Vaughn, who was just drafted number three overall pick uh, by the White Sox at first. Vidal Bruhan at second. Alec Baum at third, Lewis at shortstop. We know he's going to be there. Um, My outfield was Joe Adele, Jared Kelnick, and Alex Karoloff of the Angels, Mariners, and Twins, respectively. And then I went two lefties, two righties. I went with Jesus Lizardo and A.J. Puck with the A's, who aren't going to get anywhere close to their target innings this year. And then Nate Pearson, which might be a little bit of a stretch, and Forrest Whitley of the Astros. Both those righties were in the league last year. So, So, so far, two for two. Uh, I'll, I'll be watching my, my Twitter feed around noon, Arizona, on Wednesday and throughout the week just to see who they keep reveal. I kind of like the, the day-by-day top prospect revealed by the fall league.
1: Well, Also, if we're, if we're going by the pattern uh, of Royce Lewis, number one, two years ago, and Joey Bart number two, last year, then I think Andrew Vaughn, number three this year, would, would make sense as the one today. So maybe we'll see.
0: Yeah, that would work. That would be very good. And then somehow
1: put the number four pick from next year's draft, uh, tomorrow, which would be really weird, um, but maybe, maybe they're committed to the pattern. Um, but yeah, those are those are all some good names.
0: It could be Jared Kelly. It, it could be Jared Kelly. If, we, if they announce Jared Kelly in the fall league, then we'll know something. Maybe
1: up. it'll be Jared Kelnick to kind of like it's a hint it's a hint it says uh, you got oh, you got yeah. the jared kale part I, I'm, yeah, just, yeah. I'm just throwing some stuff out there we're not trying to do some folly conspiracies here but I, I do i do like where you're where you're thinking there uh, a lot of those guys we've seen um in the futures game uh, you mentioned pearson was, was one of the i would say the stars of last year's uh, uh fall league already um and whitley certainly a guy who has not had the season uh, that he expected um Obviously, right. Everyone would would love to see Wander Franco in the Fall League, uh, but I guess I want to give you the opportunity to, I guess, explain why you love the Fall League so much in in kind of simple terms. What is it about it? I mean, the, the basic premise is very cool, um, but but why do you love the Fall League? And why would you recommend? And I, I went for the first time last year, and I, I totally agree. But explain what is what is so great about you know the Arizona Fall League.
0: And you'll have to like my memory is terrible, and I'm I'm sorry for. I'll, I will put you on the spot. Which. Was it you or was it Jake that I spoke to I, I bumped into you in the in the lobby of the courtyard by Marriott at Salt River last yes, year. Yes, it was. It well, was well,
1: me. It was me. I was I. Uh, yeah.
0: Okay. I was going to say the other of you, which was Jake. I think Jake was. Uh, I think sleeping off the effects of a long evening uh, <laughs> uh, or a late evening uh, of yes. partying. So I wasn't sure. Yeah. Which of you I couldn't remember <laughs> which of you I had spoken to. In any case, so that was good. You, you, you were up and Adam. But anyway, of course, of um, course. Yeah. I always say say my, my two favorite events. Uh, I enjoy every year are the college world series and the fall league and the fall league. I guess what I enjoy about it is, is you just get to see so many prospects on the field at the same time. And, and like, you know, I, I mean, yeah, you get to see more prospects on the field of the futures game, but you're getting two at bats out of them and in one inning a piece. And it's not the same thing. And it's, it's an exhibition game. You, you just don't see that many prospects on the field in a pro game, Very often, unless you happen to run into like a couple of really loaded minor league teams, and you know not everybody's necessarily a top 100 prospect, but there are a ton of prospects there. You know the hitters usually better than the pitchers, but like you get to see the pitchers, you know especially you know midway through the year we'll start going four or five innings a a piece. You get to see usually three or four relievers a game. I think we talked about Andres Munoz a couple, you know, podcasts ago. I'd never seen him before. I saw him in folly a couple years ago. You see a lot of live arms, and it's kind of the way I, I would pitch it to fans is it's all the great things about spring training without any of the crowds or the parking issues, or, you know, you can, you can sit wherever you want in the park. You can interact with the players if that's your thing. Um, because the player, you know, there, there, aren't, you know, 10,000 people trying to get Mike Trout's autograph, you know, the they'll, they'll, they'll only, guy who I've seen like ridiculous like mobs around was Tim Tebow when he was there a couple of years ago um, but no it's, you can if you like prospects if you you know like to watch you know the stars of tomorrow you can do that and like I said the t- you know, it's not spring train the tickets are cheaper they're easy to get you can park. You can sit anywhere you want in the stadium. You, you can – I mean, there aren't a lot of fans there, so you can go interact with the players a ton. Um, and you see a lot of quality competition. I, I used to pitch it to people as – it's like a great way, like when you're going through withdrawal after the <laughs> World Series is over, and you're like, oh, my God, now I have no baseball for a while. Um, but you can't pitch that anymore because they, they moved the schedule up. But, you know, and another thing is too – You know, if you're a fantasy baseball player, I'm sure we have fantasy you know players listening to our podcast. A lot of these guys make an impact the next year, and Cody Bellinger wound up being Rookie of the Year the very next year. You know, I remember you know you know Robert Osuna, Roberto Asuna was closing games in the fall league and closing games in the big league. You know, in the big leagues the next year. You know, you're going to see that you know, year after year after year. And we saw, you know, Pete Alonso led the Fall League of Homers last year. He's going off. We saw Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the Fall League last year. You know, he's going off, uh, you know, now that he's gotten going. So, I mean, you, you see guys who not only are going to be really good big leaguers, they're going to be really good big leaguers the following year. So, I, I, I love the Fall League. Plus, you know, one more thing. You know, the other thing that's nice is with Arizona, you could stay in one place and the longest drive is going to be forty-five minutes. You know, it's not like if you go to Florida, say for spring training, yeah, you, know, you have to bounce around all over the state. You, you can kind of, you know, pick where you want to stay. There's a lot of, you know, you know, cool stuff to do in Arizona too. And then all the le- you know, all the leagues or the teams are within forty-five minute drive.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree uh, on all those points. And the last thing I would say, especially for for prospect fans in, in particular is of course you have the the big name prospects and that's generally the point but I think sometimes it's also telling who the teams are sending to the fall leagues maybe not even necessarily the guys at the top of the prospect list but it, it's kind of a, a hint and, and kind of some insight into who the the organizations believe are you know some of their prospects who could be contributing at the major league level and of course there are, there are other factors in terms of guys that have missed time due to injury or suspension or whatever um, but I think that is also a thing where it's like oh I hadn't heard of this guy but clearly this team believes that this guy's is legitimate enough to be competing uh, at the fall league level. All right, Jim, thank you so much uh, for. And the crazy yeah, thing is, I,
0: I, Jordan, I was going to throw in one more thing. Sorry, Absolutely. I was going to say that the fall league has sent close to three thousand players to the big leagues, and like something like I think it's roughly sixty percent of anybody who's ever played a day in the league has played in the big leagues. So I mean, it, right. it's kind of crazy, but the, I mean, you can't you can't go to a minor league game and say, okay, I'm going to see. You know, let's say you see thirty players play when you, you throw the pitchers in and pitching changes. You know, if you go to if you go to a folly game, you're going to see like thirty guys play. And like like on average, eighteen of those guys exactly. are going to be big leaguers exactly. one day. So it, it, it's just it, it's just kind of unbelievable. So um, I, I can't recommend that or the the World Series, College World Series. Highly enough. Have you ever been to the College World Series, Jordan? Have you made it out to that yet?
1: I, I haven't. That's that's the one that Jake has me beat on. Uh, he went for the first time. I'm still waiting to go to Omaha. It'll happen soon.
0: Did he go this year? Did I know he, that? I don't think we overlapped this year. He
1: we? was he was there, but I don't think you overlapped. No. <laughs>
0: but he was there early, right? He was. I only made it for the last two days because I was a PDP. Okay, so we were not in Omaha. At the same time, yeah, you'll have to make it out to. Uh, have you been to the to the D two College World Series? Oh, D three. I'm sorry,
1: D three. Uh, no, that's also very very important to me. Uh, now that it's moved from Appleton to Cedar Rapids, it might be a little bit easier. But you know, again, very all very important. And, and actually, you know, at the D three World Series, uh, yeah, about about 70 of those players go on the, to be big leaguers. So uh, it's it's really really amazing stuff. Uh, no, that that number is completely fabricated. Uh, it's probably zero point zero 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 one percent. But uh, on that note, stand we'll up back of the default series. On that note, Jim, thank you so much for joining me. This was this was a pleasure, and uh, I, I believe we will be back next week with our with our our compatriot uh, Jonathan Mayo. Is it fair to say
0: we could form a, we could form a complete yes. outfield. Oh, again. exactly,
1: which is very important uh, for a podcast. Uh, Jim, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. For Jim Cowles, I am your host Jordan Schusterman, and we will talk to you on the MLB Pipeline Podcast
2: next week.